So our new series, uh, Pivot, is about Romans chapter 8, and it is about repositioning for life, for real life. And uh, today we're going to look at that, the gift of peace. We want to pivot into peace. Uh, isn't, isn't that what the world's looking for today? Um, we're finding so many people filled with unrest, and they're looking for peace. Whether the unrest is in, in our streets or in our homes or maybe even in our own hearts, we're looking for peace. To borrow part of a line from an old country western song, perhaps we're looking for peace in all the wrong places. We are led to believe that possessions and property that we would surround ourselves with would bring us peace, but then we find that we are a little bit more restless because we have more to take care of. Or maybe power or position brings us peace. And then we find out we have more responsibilities and accountabilities and we find ourselves more restless again. All of the worldly peace is futile. Which is why Jesus would say, a peace I give you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. When Jesus gives us peace, it's all about relationship. A relationship with the Heavenly Father that comes through Him because that's what peace is all about. There was only one time in the history of humanity that everybody was peaceful. God created the man and the woman. And there was peace in their union with each other. There was peace in their union with the Heavenly Father because that's what they were created for, to have that relationship with God and with one another. And, and you know when this peace was gone, it was when they decided to disobey the Lord, when they took matters into their own hands, when they wanted to be like God, when they ate from the forbidden fruit and God came into the garden and we could see that peace was gone. They ran and they hid themselves. They blamed one another. And from that day on, we've been struggling for peace. Broken relationships. Really, that's kind of how St. Paul is winding up chapter 7 in his book to the Romans, his letter to the Romans. He talks about his, his struggle with sin. And, and we had that as our epistle lesson last week. I think it bears hearing again. Romans 7, we're going to start at verse 14. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Where am I going to find peace? Because I've tried and I can't do it, says St. Paul. You and I can say the exact same thing. 
See, Paul understands that he has been distanced from God. And he understands what the results of sin are. It's, it's death. It's hell. It's not a very popular term these days. But it's the truth. But we get to pivot today. We get to pivot into chapter 8, which allows us to pivot into peace, because Paul gives us good news. Let's look at those opening four verses of Romans chapter 8. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So St. Paul is exactly correct in his assessment. Only perfection will lead to heaven. And we are imperfect and we cannot measure up. But now in chapter 8, Paul shares this peace that passes understanding. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul explains that Jesus came to do what we were called to do. What we cannot do. Did you hear it? For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. God came to do what we are too weak and feeble and broken to do. God takes flesh upon Himself and comes into our world, our sin-stained world, and He does what was required of us. He lives that perfect life. He does the good that is required. He shuns the evil that is forbidden. And he was tempted in every way as we are, and yet he was without sin, says the writer to the Hebrews. This is the immense love that God has for us. And Jesus, who lives this perfect life, says, if you trust in me, I will give you my righteousness. It is all yours. All, all yours. I live the perfect life and give you my righteousness and you can give me your unrighteousness and I'll take it to the cross and I'll crucify it so that you can stand before the Father in heaven forgiven and alive. Peaceful. No more fear of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who believe in Him, who trust in Him. You know, I, I, guess, I guess to say I don't believe in Jesus is really to say I, I don't need Jesus. I can do hell all on my own. But Jesus did hell for us on that cross. The separation of Jesus from the Heavenly Father was the hell that we deserved. And, and now 
There's no condemnation for us. Jesus took it all. And in his resurrection, he promises us eternal life. John 3.16, we all know that one. And 17 and 18 really need to go with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Gospel goes on to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Did you hear that? For us who live in Jesus, no condemnation, no damnation. There is no worry. There is no fear. There is now only peace. Not as the world gives but as Jesus gives. And it would be a great place to say amen, wouldn't it? But being a Lutheran preacher, I just can't do that. Because Paul continues. He gave us good news, but now here's a news flash, a news alert, 5-8. through For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We know God and we love God and we trust Him and we know that He has a place prepared for us in heaven, but we continue to struggle in this imperfect world because we are imperfect people and imperfect things happen. And and Luther reminded us, Luther warned us, be careful, the devil and the world, they're out there tempting and, and your sinful flesh, careful. Even as believers, we find ourselves oftentimes drifting from the Lord and the Lord's will and the Lord's way. It's easy for us to get back to the ways of the world. They're more comfortable sometimes, more convenient, easier to follow. I'm told that um, when horses are taken out of a burning barn, they have to be tied up because they have this propensity to want to rush back into the burning barn. Why? That's where they were comfortable. That's where they were well fed. And sometimes we who have been rescued from sin and death and condemnation, oftentimes we want to run back in without recognizing the dangers that the world offers. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're drifting back. Other times we're pretty blatant. Sometimes we'd rather hold grudges than live with forgiveness. Sometimes we like to judge others, always keeping ourselves as a standard for proper living. Sometimes we get caught up in the less than moral standards of the world. We amass for ourselves and we forget others who are in need. 
Of course we run back to the cross of Jesus Christ and there we, we are showered again with forgiveness and there we are lifted to new life. But Paul warns us that living apart from the Lord's way is dangerous and can lead us farther and farther away from Jesus. So Paul, in the concluding verses, calls all God's forgiven people to new life. Verses 9-11. through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But Christ is in you. Although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. New life. You know, we, we say that Christ redeemed us for eternity, and that's true. We, we talk about uh, paying more attention to the destination than to the journey, and that's, that's okay. But I want you to know today that Jesus redeemed you for eternity, but He redeemed you for each new day that He gives to you to live. He's redeemed you for this journey. In holy baptism, He sent His Spirit to dwell within us and gives us a faith to guide us. A faith to honor God with our lives as we love and care for one another. This is why Paul writes, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That's what we heard today. And walking according to the Spirit necessitates our being connected to the Spirit. It's about being in worship. It's about participating in the Lord's Supper. It's about being connected in a Bible study or belonging to a, a reach group or having a mentor to guide you in your spiritual walk. It's about a daily prayer life, carrying yourself to the Lord. Okay, let's do a survey. Who's on a diet right now? Anybody, anybody on a diet right now? Okay, do you know everybody should raise their hand? Because I'll give you Webster's definition of a diet. The kinds of food that a person habitually eats. How many of you are on a diet? Yes, we habitually eat food. The question is, what kind of food do we habitually eat? Sometimes our diets are good and sometimes our diets are harmful. We are all on a spiritual diet. Either we're feasting on the Word of God or on the ways of the world. The one brings health and life. The other brings harm and death. We need to constantly be connected to the spirit of life because we are up against such dangerous foes. The devil, the world, even our own sinful nature. Last weekend, we celebrated our nation's birth, July 4th, 1776. In 1775, uh, George Washington, who was a commander of the troops, um, decided that it was, um, looked like they were going to be heading to a pretty good war. And uh, 
he said he needed a navy. So he commissioned six naval cruisers. Ships always fly the country's flag. We weren't really a country yet. Didn't really have an official flag. Something had to fly on these six cruisers. George Washington designed a flag. And when he was thinking about the difference between the naval fleet of Great Britain and six little cruisers out of New England, he mentioned to his navy that with odds like that, they really needed to be connected to God. This was the first flag that flew on our naval ships. An appeal to heaven. This needs to be our motto each and every day. Just like six little cruisers faced probably the strongest naval fleet on the waters of that time, we are facing some great challenges. And in order to have a peace that passes understanding, we need every day to listen to God through His Word and speak to Him through our prayers.